Well, hello, everyone. This is Father Christian from St. Mary's Episcopal Church, and I'm a little down because I don't have my rabbi with me today. He is consumed with his responsibilities of running a school during COVID-19. So he is doing wonderful things right now and, 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 and being a great leader. Um, so, you know, when these things happen, you got to fill the shoes. So I have called all around the world and I went all the way to DC and I found Reverend Matt Rhodes, who leads his own podcast. So I knew he could just jump right in and, and, and do it. And so Reverend, so Reverend Matt Rhodes has a background in DC politics. He's also an Episcopal priest. He's also a podcaster, and the podcast is called A Few Minutes With. So we're bringing on Reverend Matt Rose to talk about how does our faith inform our vote? And how do you do that when you look at candidates where both of them you're not really feeling, but you don't want to not vote, but you definitely want God to be behind your vote. So Reverend Matt Rhodes, welcome to the podcast, my brother. Thank you. It's great to be here. I'm very happy to do this. And I, you're right, I do have... Uh, big shoes that I'm filling today. So I, I hope I carry out the co-hosting duties uh, in a way that does Rabbi Durbin proud. Oh man, you know what's gonna be? You're, you're gonna be the star and I'll just be the host. <laughs> you're the one bringing all the goods today. So uh, which, which I'm very excited about. So um, it, is, it is great to have you here, my man. So if you guys are new to this, uh, please subscribe to uh, our podcast. Um, even if you think this podcast is a joke, just you going on and leaving a nasty review actually helps our analytics. So that, that, that's good. And uh, so wherever you're listening, whether it's on Stitcher or Apple Podcast or Google Podcasts, um, just, just give it a like, leave a comment and share it. Share it with someone you think would appreciate this. Um, just bringing on these guests so we talk about really hot topics in the world through a Judeo-Christian lens. Um, so God bless you all. And we're going to get into this podcast. Uh, Reverend Matt, are you ready to roll? Let's do it. All right, y'all. See you on the flip side. A priest, a rabbi, a priest, a rabbi, a priest, a rabbi. The opinions you hear from on this show do not represent WSTU, since they probably regretted over-allowing the show on the air in the first place. Nor do they represent Temple Bay Hayam or St. Mary's Episcopal Church, since they also wonder what the heck they did when they called these two men to lead their respective congregations. On that note, sit back, relax, Grab your Bible or Torah and enjoy another episode of A Priest and a Rabbi. Good morning, good morning, everyone from Stewart, Florida, to Yemen. We have heard that we have had listeners out in Yemen now. So welcome to you person in Yemen. Uh, it is Father Christian Anderson uh, coming to you. Uh, I'm a priest and a rabbi from St. Mary's Episcopal Church. Normally, I would have next to me the most handsome rabbi this side of the Jordan River, which is our friend, um, Rabbi Matthew Durbin. But rabbi Matthew Durbin has got his hands full. As you know, he also runs a school. And during this time of being someone who runs a temple and a school, and you're a rabbi and a father of three, you got to take some times off. So when that happens, you got to bring in some big guns to fill in his seat. So 
I couldn't find a rabbi, but I, I but I found someone who follows a rabbi um, and uh, has dedicated his life to following a very important, some would say, messianic rabbi. Um, I brought in Matt Rhodes to co-host the show with me. Matt Rhodes is an Episcopal priest, so he does worship a rabbi called Jesus, Jesus the Christ, and he is here now. Matt Rhodes is the reason why we're bringing him on here. Our today's theme is going to be how does your faith inform your vote? And, and I know sometimes out there we, we have our churches and our synagogues and our mosques tell us this is how you should vote, or they insinuate it. Uh, but it's a, a, a vote like faith is, is a personal thing. And does your pastor, does your cleric, does your imam, does your rabbi give you the tools for you to say, let me do my own process I'm trying to figure out what is the best platform that really fits my values, because uh, sometimes I think it could be dangerous when our religious institutions tell us you should vote because of this, because there's so many things. So the reason why we're bringing on Mr. Matt Rhodes, uh, not only is he an awesome guy who has a fantastic podcast, and we'll get into all that. Uh, he used to be, a, before becoming a priest, was the press secretary uh, for the House of Representatives and also was in the corporate and government, he was a corporate government communications executive in the private sector. Uh, we're really going to talk about his, his life in D.C. and then how that journey led to him becoming the Episcopal priest. So let me shut up and bring him on. Uh, Reverend Matt Rhodes, welcome to A Priest and a Rabbi. It's good to have you here. Thanks so much for having me. And I've got to tell you, A, uh, greatest theme song ever. And B, uh, if I get nothing else today, the fact that you referred to me as a big gun that you were bringing in, my day has been a success. So well, thank you. well, we're happy. Now, now, we, now we know, though, that uh, even our producer, Evan Nine, likes that one. Um, I don't know if you knew this, but our producer is part celebrity, too, as well. He is the voice of the Mets, so it, it, it's good. So we, we got a dream team here today. Um, all right. So Matt Rhodes, first of all, we want to know how are your knees? We, we heard that yesterday you were you were taking a journey and the big gun fell to his knees. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, I've discovered that falling before I'm 50, I uh, had a far different feel than falling after I turned 50. It was one of those wonderful things where I just tripped on level ground and didn't break anything. But, uh, you know, one of the ordained ministries in the Episcopal Church is deacon. And they have a unique ministry, and I'm just grateful my deacon was there yesterday to help get me up off the ground. So I'm moving a bit more slowly, but all things considered, you know, doing well, but feeling my age, that's for sure. <laughs> well, but, but you have to see, though, that the way that you fell, you fell in a very ordained fashion. You submitted to God. You fell to your knees, not, you know, face planted. You fell to your knees in front of God. Yeah, there's a rule that when you fall, you're supposed to tuck and roll. And for me, it's usually fall flat on my face, but instinctively yesterday, you're, you're right, I did go down on my knees and of course both knees caught my full weight. Uh, so it was, uh, yeah, probably the greatest moment of inadvertent prayer I've ever had. In my life. <laughs> oh boy. All right. So uh, listen, my friend, um, you, you, you bring a lot of gifts to the show today and what we want to hear about, can you, can you just tell us a little bit more about yeah, you have a history, uh, previous life in the private sector, and you also worked um, in D.C. as well. And uh, can, can you tell us a little bit more about that, especially through the lens now as someone who eventually became a priest? Yeah, I had uh, in 1994, when my now wife had graduated from college, I, I packed up everything I owned into her car and moved to Alabama. 
And while there, uh, was working at the site where the congressman at that time for that district was having a town meeting. And I met him and just out of the blue, he said, you should come intern in DC for me. So as I was finishing my undergrad degree, uh, I did go spend a summer working in his office in DC. And then he ended up hiring me in his district office in Alabama. So I worked for a few years there, uh, including one year at the end of his term as his press secretary. And then his successor uh, invited me to move to Washington and be his press secretary. So I was with him for a few years and then went to work uh, on the House Budget Committee as the Deputy Communications Director. So it was very much one of those spirit moving kind of moments where I just happened to be in the, the right room at the right time to get all of this started. Uh, and then when I left the house in 2007, went into the private sector and kind of used the gifts that I'd been blessed with and the knowledge that I'd acquired and went to work for a few different trade associations and companies doing corporate and uh, governmental communications for them and their member companies, member, member organizations. Uh, and it was quite an interesting time. But as I got further into it, I began to sense that my head and my heart were coming into conflict. And I couldn't quite figure out what it was. So I was put in touch with a spiritual director, met with her for a long time, met with the priest of my church. And through a long period of discernment, realized that God was calling me to something completely different. So in 2014, I left my first career behind and entered seminary and I'm now wonderfully enjoying my new vocation as a priest. And what priest, what church are you at right now? I'm at Christ Church Millwood, which I'm sure everybody in Stewart, Florida and Yemen has heard of. <laughs> it's about 70 miles west of Washington. Uh, for those that know Virginia, uh, we're in the northern Shenandoah Valley, uh, beautiful part of the state. And uh, having grown up in Lynchburg, Virginia, in the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains, and now being back in the foothills of the Blue Ridge, my life has just been one sweeping arc from about uh, three hours south of here to where I am now. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so it, let, let's just rewind a little bit. You mentioned this part where we've talked about this a lot in the show is discerning God's call and where is God really moving us in our lives. And, you know, I think as you and I are both priests, we had this advantage that when we start to feel when we were, when we were not priests, um, that when we start to feel God tugging on our heart, the Episcopal Church says, hey, let's get together a discernment committee and help you discern God's call. Um, and I remember my former priest, um, uh, Reverend Carol Anderson saying, not my former priest, but just the former rector. She, she said, you know, it would be great if every single person in the congregation who felt God calling them to something different than what they're doing now, if we could give them a discernment committee. Um, you said something that would be great for all of our listeners, is that you had a great priest who said, you need a spiritual director, which anyone can get in any moment in time. If we all feel God's nudging us and pulling us to something bigger, and this has absolutely nothing to do with what we're going to talk about today, but I just want to put this out there because this might help someone today. But tell us exactly what that meant when you got a spiritual director and why you got a spiritual director. Spiritual directors are people that have a wonderful set of gifts and uh, have been trained to help uh, parse emotions and thoughts and feelings that people are having about how God is at work in their lives. 
uh, and I have been blessed uh, at that point to have had a spiritual director that worked for an organization called the Shalem Institute right outside Washington, DC. Um, but spiritual directors, you're exactly right. Anybody can get one. Uh, priests can try and be guides and be counselors, but there's a special quality and a special gift and uh, level of training that spiritual directors have. And you mentioned something else I want to touch on. Anybody can have a calling. In the Episcopal Church, the very first of the four orders of ministry in the church is the laity. So people can, in the Episcopal tradition, you can feel a call to some sort of ministry that doesn't require ordination. In fact, uh, laity are put even before deacons, priests, and bishops. So anybody that, uh, certainly in the Episcopal Church, but in whatever faith denomination, uh, whether it's Rabbi Durbin's congregation or yours, Christian, or, or anybody else's, uh, if they feel a call, they can very much exercise their pastoral and ministerial gifts as a member of the laity. And a spiritual director is a wonderful way of helping people identify where those gifts lie and the best way to put them to use. All right. So you've, you've helped with this transition into actually what our, what our show is right now. Um, th that we are talking about discernment today. We are talking about how do we process and try to understand um, our, our political, this, this gift we've been given in, the, in this wonderful country to, to vote, right? That once we're 18, we're given this great responsibility to vote. And, and um, as people of faith, uh, many times I, I hope and I pray that we, as people of faith, is, is we take it seriously, this power to vote. And it doesn't just live all up in our head, that we don't just live up cerebrally, that we also use our heart when we, when we want to vote. And so that we, like in anything as people of faith, we pray on it and we want to hear God's call and help us inform of how we look at the candidates and look at the platforms and what really best embodies the values that we lift up um, as, as people of faith, as Judeo-Christians. Um, so let's look at that. You know, First of all, what has it been like for you to have this background where you were press secretary of the House of Representatives and then you come all the way over now as a man who is, is, is responsible for being the leader of a Christian community? Um, how has that background in politics informed your work as a priest, especially a priest that is 70 miles outside of Washington, D.C.? Well, I think the interesting thing about it is in the last few months since uh, COVID-19 started, my answer has changed a little bit before I would have been able, I think, to reflect more easily on how being in that environment has helped. But because of my communications background, it's pulling on an entirely different set of uh, skills from my life in helping the congregation pivot to continue, continuing to worship during this time where we were physically distant. So it's um, you know, increasing the amount of uh, email communication, uh, increasing the frequency and the ways that we communicate through Facebook and Zoom and Twitter and all of these social media things. So my answer now and how I've been able to draw on my previous career is the fact that I think I felt much better equipped to handle this rapid adjustment to the new way of worship that the pandemic has brought about. In terms of the, the political side of things, it's given me a greater sensitivity to the interests and the concerns of the people in the pews. Uh, DC, not so much when I was there. I was still fortunate to be there at a time where 
compromise was still a key word and members of opposing parties would go and they would argue on the House floor during the day or the Senate floor and then go out at night and have dinner and hammer out their differences and come back and they would reach a compromise that would benefit the most number of people that they could. And I was fortunate that I worked for members that held that in very high regard. It's, it's different now, but the distance from DC while removing me from that has given me an opportunity to be sensitive more to how people feel about particular issues in the pews. And, you know, you have to, you have to wear, as you know, you have to wear a pastor's hat, but you also have to have pastor's ears and a pastor's heart and try and find where those places of compromise can be for the people in the pews. Uh, just the same way as 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 members of Congress uh, do in in ideal situations, and you know, draw on something that's common. And I'm sure we'll get into this, but you know, the one thing that we all have in common is the Scripture, and one thing in the Episcopal faith that we all have in common is the baptismal covenant. So for me, keeping those two things at the center of even the most difficult conversations. Uh, has been key. And I think that that art of compromise and that art of listening that I was fortunate to see in the members that I worked for is something that I tried along with my pastoral and theological training to carry with me even today. I wonder if um, you have more courage than the average pastor to bring what, what some would label as politics into the pulpit because you because of your history, because your previous vacation, you vocation, you have a understanding of politics, the language, um, how it works, um, the the platforms. Um, you can talk about them. You were a press secretary, so you really know how to communicate them well. You understand trigger words. <laughs> you understand um, that there's a that diplomacy is necessary and negotiation is necessary. That sometimes it's not right or left, but definitely purple. Um, has do you find that as some of um, maybe many of our colleagues, including myself, are, are very uh, concerned about bringing anything that might be a political trigger word to the pulpit, that you might have more confidence than the average pastor because you're kind of like, I know how to dance around here, I know how to do this, I understand the human condition when it comes to the political sensitivities. I, you know, that's a very good word, courage, because it does take a lot of courage to get up and essentially preach prophetically from the pulpit. Um, I would like to think that I do, but anybody that has a congregation of any faith knows that, uh, you know, certain trigger issues or trigger words, you know, we have the pastoral and the uh, preaching aspects of things, but there's also the practical thing that for me lurks in the back of my head is if I do something too aggressively, then you risk losing parishioners, you risk losing tithers, uh, you risk driving a division into a congregation where division may not be there or may not be on the surface. It does take courage, but it, it, it takes you know, I've been at my current church three years, and people in those three years have learned how I've how I feel about issues. I've been, uh, for instance, very public in my own personal support, not speaking on behalf of the congregation at all, but just my support as a priest uh, in uh, 
marches and protests in support of Black Lives Matters. People know I feel that way. Um, the challenge and where it takes courage for me is to try and preach about that in a way, as I said earlier, that is not indicative of me throwing what I think on the congregation, but putting on them how what I believe and how I act is rooted in my faith and the scripture and again, the baptismal covenant. And you use the word politics often, um, you know, and I've had this in, in my life, even back in seminary doing my field ed work, my training, where I preached a sermon and I had somebody say, well, you got to this point and I quit listening because you were being too political. And I would urge everybody to reflect on the distinction between political and partisan. You know, people may disagree with me. I personally think Jesus was the most political person that ever lived or one of the most political people that ever lived because in addition to his healing ministry and his teaching ministry, he was calling out the authorities of Israel, the Roman Empire and, and, and Herod and, and the temple authorities. He was very much an activist on behalf of the, of the people of that time. That was political, but there was no, he wasn't advocating for a party. He was advocating for the children of God as a whole. And I think that that's, and you know, maybe it's incumbent on us as pastors and rabbis and preachers to help educate congregations that it's okay to be and speak politically because it has a different feel and a different aim than partisanship. You're not arguing for left or right. You're arguing for the family. Hmm. Do you think that, do you, do you think that what really is the issue then? It's not about um, getting, uh, how do I, where do I want to go with this? <laughs> <It's>, <clears throat> what really is the issue is that, that that alone, would you just say, could be its, its own show, this whole great about Jesus being partisan, not political. And it'd be really great to get someone who has a different view than you and just have you two kind of go at it. And I'll just stand in the middle and try to keep everything sane. Um, <laughs> but this idea that Jesus you know, was, was challenging Herod, he was challenging Pilate, or he softly, at least indirectly challenged Pilate. Um, and uh, the, I've, I've heard the interpretation um, that even when Jesus was walking um, into Jerusalem, and in the synoptic gospels that that was sort of like a like a like almost like a march that people were just saying hosanna 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 in the highest hosanna in the highest blessed is he but you know that, that it's almost like a rally because who in their right mind would come in on a donkey into a roman empire the donkey that's being the sign of like peace you're this peaceful warrior um in the face of the emperor in jerusalem i mean that, that that's a statement that that's not like hey let's go kumbaya that's like I'm. I'm willing to. I'm putting a mark on my back and saying, "Come shoot me now." Um, so that's that's marching into D.C. and and really just directly opposing the president. Really. So that's. So Jesus, I I, I think there's a lot there to go with. Um, um, but let's just use that as a launching pad to saying that. Do you think the issue is within our houses of worship is more that we just don't like to be uncomfortable, and politics can make us uncomfortable. Um, especially if it goes against the grain of the majority population in your congregation. Um, so if you preach on something, let's say you want to talk about immigration and you want to talk about God's value of family 
how families should always be together. Um, and so then we have a political, we have a platform that would say, no, sometimes it's okay to, to, to separate the family. And so now people are going to be like, whoa, whoa, hold up, you're getting political. Well, no, I'm, I'm, talking, I'm talking about Leviticus, right? I'm talking about numbers. And God talks about this idea of we keep the family together, even the alien. But then all of a sudden people are just like, no, 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 don't talk about that. Don't bring politics into this. So do you think it's about politics or it's just like, I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to talk about those, those splitting of families or I don't want the distraction of politics in this because um, you're making me uncomfortable in the pew and I came here to be comfortable, not uncomfortable. You know, I, people do, and, and you know this, people come to church for a variety of reasons. They, they love the liturgy. They love, uh, you know, in the best of times when things are, are normal, people love the music. Uh, people love being with one another, uh, but people also come that are carrying their own burdens, their grief, their disappointment, whatever it is that they bring through the door. And so, you know, I think it's it's difficult to put it in one basket or another, but I did hear there's an annual festival of homiletics, which is a wonderful four-day conference of preachers from all denominations and all faiths. This year it moved online. Uh, but Katie Hayes, who is the lead evangelist of Galileo Church in Fort Worth, um, mentioned in a talk that she gave that in her experience, a lot of times it's comfortable people coming into a comfortable room looking to have the pastor or preacher preach comfort. And I would hope that everyone feels comfortable and can feel comfortable in the space and feel supported and loved and encouraged with whatever they're bringing in the door. But I also have been big in my ministry in reminding people in the pews that Sunday is not the ending point of the week or of the weekend where you come into the four walls and you hear something to rejuvenate you and then you go home. Sunday is the beginning of the week where I encourage people to remember that the church big C doesn't exist with inside the four walls. That's that small church C is a building. The church is all of God's creation. And I encourage people to use Sunday to take what they hear and what hopefully I'm able to convey through my preaching or through the liturgy into the world and use that as their motivation to make their own mark in creation and how they approach their uh, their sisters and brothers, or how they approach their neighbors, or how they live their own lives with their families and their own households. Um, if they can extend comfort into the world, that's wonderful. But, you know, I always think in my sermon, if if people walk out hearing me preach with one thing they can remember, and it may be something that infuriates them, but it's a sign they were listening. And I hope that they take something away from my preaching into the world, comfortable or otherwise, that helps them become, you know, their own, again, the order of ministry, become an, their own minister in the world and their own, uh, you know, I hate the phrase foot soldier, but soldier of Jesus and soldier of God in the community. All right. So this is a great setup for the second part of the show, which is now that you have a preacher, pastor, um, you have a rabbi who is challenging you from the pulpit, hopefully also inspiring you and uh, comforting you too. I mean, all those things that we get when we go to worship. 
Then how do you take that during this election season to really inform your vote? So I think in the second part, when we come back from break, uh, we'll be uh, continuing our conversation with Reverend Matt Rhodes of how do you discern is it as easy as just saying this person stands for this one value and then therefore that's my vote and I go with this platform or is there something more to it? So we're, we're going to go with that. We're here on A Priest and a Rabbi. We're also a podcast. So if you missed part of this, you can always go and uh, Google A Priest and a Rabbi podcast and you'll see all the episodes. We are going to be right back. We're going to hear from the people who allow this show to happen. We'll see you in just one minute. You're listening to a priest and a rabbi podcast. If you haven't done so yet, make sure to subscribe and please leave a rating and a review, five-star rating and a positive review if you can. We certainly appreciate it. That is the best way to make sure that others out there just like you can find this podcast. If you want to get in contact with Father Christian and Rabbi Durbin, you can do so by emailing a priest and a rabbi at gmail.com. And the absolute best way to get a hold of the fellas is to call into the radio show. This podcast airs live on the radio every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. on WSTU 1450. And you can listen live online at WSTU1450.com. And if you want to join the show, you can call in to 772-220-9788. That's 772-220-WSTU. Hey, everyone. This is Father Christian here on A Priest and a Rabbi. So happy for you to be here on this podcast with us. And I want to let you know that I have started a YouTube channel called Your Favorite Christian. And you can check it out on YouTube. And uh, every Monday, I drop a new episode. And it's always through the lens of faith, but taking on different topics such as dating, relationships, marriage, pop culture. Uh, I've done one recently where I went out to the art show and talked about how do we find our relationship with God through all the what all the latest artists are doing. Um, last week was what do women really want um, in a man uh, and interviewing different people to be a part of that. So uh, please check that out on YouTube. Subscribe, like, share, uh, put on the notification so you get that every Monday. Um, I also want to let you know of uh, we this podcast wouldn't be here if it wasn't for a generous donor from St. Mary's Episcopal Church who wishes to remain anonymous. All he asked, though, was that um, the information gets out that St. Mary's Episcopal Church here in Stewart has a healing center. And so you can call if you're looking for a counselor, someone to be there for you during a challenging time, and you can call the church at 772-287-3244. We also have a group of Stephen ministers who have been trained over 50 hours of training to be with you and walk with you during a time of crisis. They are not counselors. They are trained just to be more of the presence um, of, of Christ or and, and walk with you during a time of crisis, whether it's a, a good crisis of having, oh, my gosh, my daughter's about to get married, or if there's something a little bit heavier. So give us a call, 772-287-3244, and I thank that anonymous donor who uh, makes this all possible. All right, God bless you, and enjoy the rest of the podcast. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back to part two of A Priest and a Rabbi. My name is Father Christian Anderson over at St. Mary's Episcopal Church, but anything I say today does not represent their views, just my wacky ones. 
Uh, and I am bringing on a, a dear colleague uh, today, if you're just tuning in, uh, Reverend Matt Rhodes, uh, who pastors a church just 70 miles outside of D.C. And Reverend Matt Rhodes also has a history of working in D.C., of, of working in the politics of D.C., uh, as he was a press secretary for the House of Representatives, among other things. And he is giving us a wonderful um, understanding of blending. How do we allow our faith to inform um, our politics and how do we try to dance between both, um, especially during this election season? So let's continue here. Uh, Reverend Matt, um, let's say you get someone who comes into your office, um, as you often do, and uh, or into your Zoom office. <laughs> And says, you know, Reverend Matt, I, I'm so disgusted with everything in politics right now, but I, I don't want to just not vote. Um, uh, and but I, I really want to know how, how can I discern where God is calling me um, to vote? Because I look at all the other options out there and I think like, eh, sometimes it's obvious, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes people have a platform. There's some things I really agree with. And then they have other things that I think don't really match perfectly with my faith, right? Um, I know here, I know people who pro-life is a very important thing, um, but, but they'll look at other things that the candidate stands for and they'll be like, yes, I'm with you on pro-life, but these other things, no, I'm not. So does that mean as a Christian, I cannot, I have to vote for you because you are pro-life? So how, how would you help them to discern this from a spiritual standpoint? I'll, I'll use my own story as a launching point. When I worked in Washington, I've, I've been a churchgoer my whole life, but there was a phase when I worked in Washington where the political and congressional side of things in the corporate world dominated my life. And it was very easy for me to be a single party voter, you know, the, the party with whom I worked. Uh, and for sake of being inclusive, I will not say how I voted or which party, um, because I think it applies to everybody. But it was very easy for me to go, parties voting this way, going to stay loyal to the party. But as I got closer to my discernment and moved into my discernment and discovered that my head and my heart were coming into conflict on different issues, uh, it was at that point, with the help of the spiritual director and just my own experiences and continuing even to today, to First of all, praying, doing a lot of praying about it. But in uh, for me, and you, what would that pray, what would that prayer sound like? You know, when, when you would pray, like what would you be saying? How would that prayer life work? You know, it, sometimes it would be if I had time to stop and center myself. It would be a you know, being a communications person, I would feel it necessary somehow to try and craft this beautiful prayer in my mind <laughs> of. Uh, you know, flowery language. Sometimes it was a prayer of God, for Pete's sake, tell me what I'm supposed to do. You know, a lot of times prayer for me, I, I talked about this in uh, different meetings with my discernment committee. Sometimes prayer for me was almost like I would be driving home. And in D.C., I lived 11 miles from the office, and it could sometimes take two, two and a half hours to get home just because of traffic. So I had a lot of time to think in the car. But sometimes prayer for me was almost as if God was sitting in the passenger seat riding shotgun with me. And it would just, it would almost take on a conversational feel where I would be just spilling my guts and waiting to see what I would hear back. And over the course of time, one thing that I did hear back was, you know, you've got scripture and you've got your faith tradition. How are you going to use that? 
So for me, for instance, uh, you know, I'm very blessed to work with a congregation and it fits so well for one reason, because we both are rooted in Matthew 25, which is the, the very famous chapter about uh, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, giving water to the thirsty, and Jesus saying, when you did this for the least of these, you've done it for me. And then uh, there's uh, Psalm 72, which for biblical nerds out there and, and Torah scholars is referred to as one of the um, uh, kingly psalms because on the surface it seems to relate to uh, kings and monarchs but if you dig into it it talks about the fact that the the wise king or the wise ruler delivers the needy when he calls and helps the poor and has pity on the weak and needy and while it may look to be one of those kingly psalms it can relate to every one of us because it's uh you know something that everybody in large ways and small can reach out to the community. So that would be what I would use as the basis for the starting of a conversation with the parishioner that came to me is, you know, first of all, what does your own faith say to you about how you should approach this in your reading of the Bible? What are the things that are jumping out at you? And what, what are the glimpses that you see the Holy Spirit throwing up in front of you as you go about your life? I love seeing how the spirit is at work in ways that I might not even recognize at the time. And then, you know, hours or days or weeks later, weeks later, as I'm reflecting on it, we'll suddenly see this happened for a reason. This is why I suddenly felt that way because you can put it in context. So I, I would encourage people to pray and to draw on their understanding of, of scripture and ask questions. Uh, you know, don't take anything at face value. And that applies to the real world. Um, you know, dig into, uh, since we're talking about elections, dig into candidates, but not even, it's not even national. It could be, you know, alderman or school board member or, you know, a, a, a community vote on, do we want to allocate money to clean up the park? All of these things, care of creation and care of one another you know, don't just take the surface, dive into it with the same ferocity and the same intensity that you would in diving to the scriptures and trying to develop an understanding of what that is saying to you. Dive into mm -hmm. the public realm in the same way and see what the people that are trying to get you to support them mm -hmm. are saying to you as you dive in with that same ferocity and that same intensity. Yeah, no, I, I, I uh, I hear you. This I, I'm just getting this Psalm 72 uh, from verse 12 says, "For he delivers the needy when they call, the poor and those who have no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy." I didn't realize that that you know that I'm sure happens throughout the the, the Psalm itself. The word needy, and I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I don't know if you in in in, in seminary I focus more on the Greek, so I'm not going to pretend to even know the background of needy. Um, but do, does your elected official, the people who you might be thinking about, if you're listening to this right now and you're kind of thinking about who do I vote for, um, if you're if you're a person of the word and uh, in Psalm 72 for all of us who are from the Abrahamic faith, that does the person you're looking at really embody that? Are they a someone who will stand as he or she stand and deliver for the needy when that when the needy call, right? Um, or do they have a track record of sometimes ignoring the needy or not really having that part of their platform? Or do they just really focus more on one uh, uh, part of society and, and not the other? 
Um, if I may, one, th one of the wonderful things to me is, about, you know, Matthew 25 and Psalm 72 that I just used are things that work for me. But the wonderful thing about the depth of scripture, whether it's the, the Christian Bible or the Torah uh, or the, the scriptures of any faith tradition are rich and broad. And, you know, because Matthew 25 appeals to me, for instance, there are some that may look to Exodus and to Deuteronomy for their inspiration. There are some that may dive into, you know, something from Luke, for instance, or or John. Uh, you know, it's not a one size fits all thing, and that's the wonderful thing about, uh, for me as a Christian, the Bible is uh, you can pretty much open it and just let it fall open at any point. And I, speaking for myself, and find something meaningful or inspirational or relevant. Uh, and again, it may not be in that particular moment. It may be something that requires reflection. So, you know, I certainly don't want people to think that there's only one or two spots in the scripture to go to, right. to find this inspiration because, you know, that that's the beauty of congregations. Everybody that comes in, as I was saying earlier, comes in for a different reason, seeking something or bringing something. Uh, and the same thing with, with scripture, you can seek or bring your own perspective to it. And there's just a wealth of things to inform decisions that we make. And, you know, I would encourage people as part of their prayer, see what, see what appeals to you or what calls you. And it may change what may draw you now, you know, Matthew 25 and Psalm 72 draw me now, 10 years from now, it could be something that's not even on my radar at this point uh, that may seem relevant. And, you know, the faith journey is just that, it's a journey. It's a constant moving forward, a constant reevaluating, a constant reassessing and learning. Um, and I would encourage people to continue to make that journey. Don't, uh, don't uh, feel like, like your feet are in concrete and that positions won't change because I'm, I'm proof with my own conflict between head and heart that insights do reveal themselves and positions can change. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think that's the beauty of, of the living word is that we believe it's not just a text um, of inspiration. I mean, this is God talking to us through the word. And so if you are a person who's in a process right now of looking for discernment for anything, but right now we're talking about your vote and how you how you want your elected leaders to um, fulfill the needs of the community, to sit down and just say, Lord, reveal your wisdom through your spoken word to me. I mean, through, through, through your written word, um, through the living word. And you can see with, with Reverend Matt, he was directed to Psalm 72 and Matthew 25. Uh, but maybe you're, you're, maybe you're struggling right now and you're struggling with trying to find the, this, 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 the best person to elect. You're struggling with your elected leaders. Say, God, speak to me through your, through, through your word and, and guide me as I open up my Bible. And I mean, listen, Matt, you don't have to ask Matt and I twice as, as, as priests. We know that God's going to speak to you. And we know the supernatural can work in crazy ways. You open up that Bible and you'd be like, wow, that was the answer that I needed. Uh, but uh, I think that that focused prayer and being honest with God and saying, where do you leave me? And then not be afraid, though. Like, what if God challenges you and you feel like he's leading you uh, towards a vote or a candidate that kind of goes against the grain that you're used to, right? And then you got to kind of be like Jacob and wrestle uh, with God and be like, what? You know? Oh, yeah. And not, not even just Jacob. I mean, uh, one of the things I love talking to parishioners about is the fact that the Bible is full of men and women that 
were called to something and they were like, yeah, not so much. I mean, Moses was trying to pawn it off on, you know, my brother speaks much better than I do. Why don't you take a look at him? Uh, Jonah, you know, I want you to do this. No, I think I'd rather go this way. I mean, uh, Paul had to be blinded for goodness sake to stop persecuting the, the early Christians, the early church. Right, right. So for people that do feel conflicted or think that God is calling them to a position uh, that's antithetical to what they feel. They're not alone. They've never been alone. There's a track record of it. And I can guarantee you that you could probably walk into the middle of your community. And if you ask the question, you're going to find somebody else that's struggling with that same sense of call. It's like, do I follow it or do I stick with the comfortable? Well, now, 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 there, there, there's a great statement right there that's been a theme throughout this whole show is that do I, do I follow that or do I stick with the comfortable? So jo- Jonah, another character who, who definitely in the Bible wanted to stick with the comfortable and ran away from God. And God's like, okay, so you want to get comfortable? I'll throw you in the belly of a whale and you can be in the darkness all alone, wherever you want, and you can just go figure it out. And, and finally, it was in that silence and darkness that that Jonah finally responded to the call. So maybe that's what we all need sometimes, that you just got to shut up and just listen and just finally surrender to where God's calling you. Let's talk about something that's a little uh, on the same vein. Um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a hot one. All right. So let's just let's just check the thermometer right here and check the temperature. Um, so what, what are these big calling cards for the Christian vote that I think elected officials will, I think, um, they, they, they will use this as just a card saying, I got this. So I got the Christian vote. You've got to follow me on this. And that's pro-life. Uh, and it's just this meat that's dangled out there to say, if I do this, I know I got you. And you'll hear that from other Christian leaders. They're saying, if this person is pro-life, then, then you have to go vote for them. But then you can look at their platform and they might be pro-birth, right? But then I don't see them supporting anything that's going to support that 16-year-old girl who you said by legally has to have the child, but now has, doesn't have a father around or daddy to be there, um, doesn't have support in her education or the work or the grants or whatever is going to need the money that's going to need to raise this kid. And now you're just setting up for a lot of disaster. So that's, you're not showing me pro-life. You know, you're not showing me pro-life at all. You're, you're showing me pro-birth and you're using a political pawn here to get my vote. I want to know that you're really pro-life, that you're really supporting life as we know it, um, and supporting, I would say, back to Psalm 72, the needy, because that 16-year-old girl in a marginalized community in a, you know, with not much money, she's the call now. She's the needy. So it, it's, have you ever felt that way, that sometimes, and this is not, I don't have the rabbi here to talk about this, but this, let's just say for the Christian vote, and I don't know if the rabbi would say this for the Jewish vote, but sometimes the pro-life thing gets thrown around like, like political meat. And just dangle it, um, you know, for, for especially, I think this would be more for the evangelical vote or more for the conservative vote. Uh, but you and I both pastor congregations that are at the, at the least purple, uh, if not red. Um, and, I, and I've begun to really question that. I heard T.D. Jakes talk about that and just saying, can we really parse out what does that really mean to be pro-life as a Christian? You know, I'll, I'll take my minister's hat off and, and put my previous communicators hat back on and coming from a world where sound bites sell yeah you know whether it's advertising uh whether it's uh you know a catchphrase uh you know particular wording that you throw out 
it's designed to draw attention as quickly as possible. I think one of the problems for all the things I talked about earlier about being able to pivot during COVID-19 and continue to keep my congregation connected and engaged, sometimes social media is limiting. I think as for all of the things that I admittedly and guiltily enjoy about Twitter, it's limited. You're only getting, I can't remember if it's 140 or 260 or if it's been increased or what the character count is now, but it's compressed. And sometimes, and I'm guilty of this, scrolling through and seeing something and just reading those few characters, few words, it triggers you know, happiness or anger or joy or whatever they happen to be tweeting about. And I think that part of what's missing in all of this, and you talked about using the phrase pro-life as red meat for voters, I think in my own understanding of things and the way I view things, that the fact that we've gotten so reliant on sound bites and trying to jam as much stuff into our day as we can, we're losing conversation. We're losing the times of sitting and engaging with one another. We're losing the, we're lo you talked about red meat, we're losing the meat of the issues for the sake of getting you know, a catchphrase out that it's like Pavlov's dogs. You hear the bell, you know, it's time to eat. You know, a lot, it's a very Pavlovian, I think, culture that we're in now where you hear certain things and it triggers you one way or another. And that's, that's what you need to do. I think if I were to, if I could accomplish one thing and I know it'll never happen, it would take more than me. I would like to bring the dialogue back in. I would like to bring discussion back in. I, I know that candidates do town hall meetings and uh, you know, adult forums talk about certain things in the Episcopal Church. We've got a number of programs now uh, addressing systemic racism and how do we talk to one another, you know, whites to blacks and whites to whites even. How do we talk about and, and address systemic racism? But it's taking conversation to do that. It's removing catchphrases and it's removing flashy slogans and flashy banners and it's allowing us to dive into the conversation and I really think that's what's missing. And it would enable people, you know, it is a complicated thing. You know, my wife and I have talked about the fact that, you know, for us, if you're going to talk about pro-life, it's pro-whole life. Mm. Not if you're going to, if it's, if mm. you're just concerned about up to birth, it's, you know, you're pro-birth. Um, but we talk about it. And I think, you know, there is no one size fits all on these issues. Uh, just as there's no one scripture that's going to fit everything as far as informing individual people of faith on what they should consider when they're, you know, participating in, in this process. Um, but I think, you know, the conversation is important. And I think if we had took more time to converse and removed trying to do everything snappily in, you know, 10, 12 second bytes or 240 characters, 160 characters, whatever it is, I think it would change things. And there are no easy answers. I mean, there's not, people are going to disagree with candidates they support on certain things. We see that a lot. Uh, but to have an understanding, I think, of 
how to approach these things and how to have our faith inform it requires something that we're losing the ability to uh, the ability for and that's to have right. conversations so i wonder if the the church or the temple because we talked about this before um was just with racial reconciliation can be the place can be the place where we can have those conversations and create the model and at least the place where it's like, okay, listen, culture is going to do its thing. It's political season. It's going to get ugly. It's going to get rough out there. Uh, here, though, in this sacred space, you know, we're going to do the podcast. We're going to do the conversation. We're going to have the dialogue right in the temple, right in the sanctuary to let us to remind us of the respect and the grace we're gonna show one another. And we're gonna get two candidates here and we're gonna talk about this. And you all know that what you're coming into, this is a, a sacred space. This is, we're gonna be talking about our faith, but we as you know, St. Swithins or as Temple Bar-Chayam, our people want to hear what you two candidates, your take is on really being pro-whole life, right? And, and, and the red meat ain't gonna work here. You know, we, we, we really want to have a discussion. We want you two to dialogue. We want you, I mean, I, I, I would love for the temple and for the church to really be the place. I mean, at St. Mary's, we, we've been attempting to do that with racial reconciliation and bringing in leaders um, and, and having these discussions and more challenging discussions about, can, you, can we talk about Black Lives Matter? Because in the area that I'm in, Black Lives Matter doesn't have everyone feeling really good. I mean, if people get really concerned, it's a trigger word. So can we talk about it and parse it out more? So it's not a trigger word. But there's it's there's a lot below the surface when you say BLM, right? And that's my hope, like your hope I, too, is that that because it's a sacred space, because we're Christians or, or practicing Jews, we believe in respect and grace, really hearing one another, seeing the God in one another. You're not my enemy, you're not my opponent. We're both two children of God who are trying to figure this out. It might be a little messy. Uh, and and there's not a one size fits all. I think that was a great way for you to say that. There is not a one size fits all to these things. And I, I, I think communities of faith can be the safe space, but you did touch on something important because our communities of faith are a mix of people with different views and different opinions. You have to make sure we have, it's incumbent on us if we organize these to make sure that everybody feels heard and to that end, having people that represent the varying views on the spectrum. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I had talked at one point a few years ago about bringing in a person to talk about a particular issue and remember the congregation said well if you bring them in i would hope you bring in somebody representing this sure. and it, it was a good reminder to me that you know i have to set my own particular passion aside because i have my own views and my own beliefs they are not you know just like anything i've said today it's representative of me and not my congregation but i have to suppress my voice to an extent to be an effective listener and allow others to raise theirs and engage in these conversations. Right on. Well, how do people listen more to you? So they heard this podcast, this radio station. How do we find more of, of you, Reverend Matt? Uh, the quickest way, uh, if they want to check out uh, the church, it's facebook.com slash Christchurch Millwood. Uh, but I've also got my own podcast and YouTube series called A Few Minutes With. And I invite people on to talk about their faith journeys. Uh, some, uh, you know, a little bit of politics comes in, talk about how they find that intersection. Uh, and it's been great. I've had uh, Rowan Williams and Nadia Boltz-Weber and uh, N.T. Wright and, you know, names that appeal to biblical nerds. Uh, but church pastors, uh, one of your guests, Gail Fisher-Stewart, I had on. 
uh, to talk about the new book she edited on preaching Black Lives Matter. So uh, it's called A Few Minutes With uh, Facebook. It's facebook.com slash a few minutes with and on YouTube, it's a few minutes with and uh, you'll know it if you see it because it's a wonderful little graphic of a gray stone church steeple with flowers in front of it. It's awesome. You got y'all, y'all better check it out, subscribe and, and uh, um, check out so to hear more of Reverend Matt. Um, it has been awesome to have you here, uh, Reverend Matt, and thank you for sharing. You have a, a wealth of history with background and being in DC. <laughs> and uh, God bless your congregation and um, keep on building that kingdom of dialogue, of listening, of hearing the whole picture and allowing the, the word of God to lead us and, and electing uh, um, effective leaders that we need right now. Thank you. I'm honored. I've had some big shoes to fill with Rabbi Durbin being gone. So I'm grateful for the opportunity and, and keep doing what you all are doing too. It's, it's needed and valuable. No, it's awesome. All right. Well, God bless you all. So you check out the podcast, go subscribe to a priest and a rabbi. As we look at big topics through a Judeo Christian lens, we love you. Get your prayer life on and we'll see you next Friday here on the radio or podcast. Peace.